Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here without my co-host, Patricia Kirkman. I have some uh, unfortunate news. PK, our famous numerologist, took a spill at home and ended up on her tile floor, and she fractured her pelvis, so... Very painful, unfortunately. She is in the hospital, and I'm hoping she will be back soon. But I hear that from her daughter that she's not feeling very well. She's in a lot of pain, so send her some prayers, and we hope that she will be back with us as soon as possible because we need her numerology for to get through the week, we need to know what's going on, and there's certainly a lot going on right now. Our last guest last week was kind enough to tell us all of his predictions. He's a famous astrologer, Jeff Harmon, and he did tell us that he felt that Trump was going to be reelected, Pelosi would be out, and we would have a new era ushered in by the end of the year. And that new era was going to give us an incredible technology that is just like the Jetsons. So a lot coming that's going to change the world is what he said. And the other thing he did share is the deep state is going to be completely exposed and dismantled. So all of those people that were waiting for heads to roll, um, that that is going to happen, according to Jeff. So it was a very exciting show. If you missed it, just go to our archives on Blog Talk Radio, and you will be able to get all of our old shows there, older shows. Now, coming up, we have some great, great people joining us again. We're going to be having Captain Randy Kramer, who surfaced, and he's going to be joining us to tell us a lot about 411 missing people what has been going on he's got some things to share about that he says some of it is speculative some of it is definitive so we're going to get the story from randy as soon as he can come back on the show and we are also looking forward to having andrea come back andrea perrin who is from the conjuring house so all of that is going to be very exciting andrea has also had UFO experiences. So that is, I mean, it's she's just a, a wonder of paranormal activity. She's joining us again as well as the very famous and the very secretive covert disclosure. He has agreed to answer all of our questions 
and provide us with audio files that we can play on the air because he does not want anybody to discover his identity. So this is going to be exciting. These next few weeks coming up, don't miss it. Now tonight, we have a tremendous guest. If we can just get her on the air, she's having trouble getting through on the radio board. Um, We have with us tonight, hopefully, Normandy Ellis. And she is amazing. She has a connection with the Fellowship of Isis. Actually, she's an arch priestess. And she's an award-winning writer. She's got a new book out, and it's called Hieroglyphic Words of Power, Symbols for Magic, Divination, and Dreamwork. So, anyways, I think she may have just got on the board with us. So I'm so excited to have her here with us because she is so experienced with hieroglyphics, and it's one of my favorite topics. This is a very powerful symbolic language. And I do believe that Normandy is the expert in this field who can unlock the mysteries of these words, these symbols, these sounds, and we may be able to actually figure out how to use it ourselves for our own manifestation. And that's why I wanted to bring her on tonight, so she can decode all of this for us, because we're all talking about manifesting our reality with consciousness, and many people feel like they're doing everything right, but they're not getting the results. So it makes it very challenging. And when I have experts like Normandy to come on the show, it it just couldn't be any better because, again, she has a field of expertise here that has been previously untapped. So I think she's on with us now, and we're going to get right to it tonight. So let me bring her to a hot mic and bring her right on the air with us. Normandy. Hello, hello, I made it. You made it, thank goodness. (laughs) I know. I don't know what was going on, but I'm so glad that you persevered and you were able to get on. So thank you for, for being so persistent. Sometimes this radio board is very unstable, but I did see a bunch of people that called in and they're all on the board, so I knew it was working. I don't know. Sometimes it just has some glitches. But thank you again for well, persisting I'm and making it happen. Well, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm going to need you to speak up because you're very faint. Okay. I am happy to be here. Is this better? <laughs> a little bit, but you're going to need to be louder or bring the uh, the microphone or the phone closer to your mouth so that we can all hear you. Clearly. Okay. Is this better? A little bit, yes. Okay. This is what I've got. (laughs) Okay. So I'll try to speak up. That's perfect. That's perfect. Because we want to hear what you have to say. Your book is just amazing. And I didn't realize at the time that you could actually turn these symbols into a tarot card deck almost. That's, That's kind of what you're suggesting at some point in the book. But Tell us first about you. How did you get involved with all of this? Oh, wow. Well, okay, here's the story of how I got involved. Um, I had a friend who insisted that I buy the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and um, then he disappeared from my life. In fact, he died. And um, after he died, I realized I had many of his books that he had suggested that I read 
And um, the library began to sort of vibrate, if you will. And I thought, okay, I'm on to something now. And I did a translation workshop uh, in my master's degree. And I took the Egyptian text that he had shown me and taught myself how to read hieroglyphs and began to translate the Book of the Dead and realized as I was doing it that my friend Robert had given me a sacred task. You know, this was my life's work. And um, it became very clear to me that learning uh, what we call the Book of the Dead, was, and the Egyptians didn't call it the Book of the Dead. They called it the Book of Coming Forth by Day or the Book of Coming into Light. And it was really not about death consciousness, but it was about life consciousness. And I've said that for years, and now I'm just saying it's about consciousness, all the layers of consciousness. And hieroglyphs have fascinated me for their depth of the symbology and the mythology and the imaginative ways in which they have used the sounds of the language and hidden it. It was a true mystery tradition. And um, I'm just so excited that I've had the opportunity, I will say, to spend my life reading hieroglyphs and taking people to Egypt and introducing them to the divine beings there. It sounds just fascinating and also very, very exciting. It's like being in a time machine, the way you can work work with these things. Yes, so, I mean, the power that these Egyptian priests had was was something like we have never seen ever well i think I think that's true, and I think part of it is that they part of it is the reason that they did not believe that they had to figure it out for themselves. They understood and knew that their lives were given power from the divine, that they understood natural law which is basically what all of us use for manifestation, they understood natural law as the bodies of the divine. And so when they were um, going to their altars and they were praying to these divine beings, they were using the power of that divinity, which appeared in in nature. All of the uh, gods and goddesses were nature beings, um, or most of them were. Uh, Very few of them were abstract concepts. You know, when we think of God as an abstract concept, we are so far removed from the knowledge that that which created us is within us ourselves. And that's the problem that we have in manifesting is that we forget that we're divine. That does seem to be a problem. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's really it. But the Egyptians lived that way. And so everything that they did, uh, all of the buildings that they built, all of the festivals that they uh, celebrated, all of the calendars that they used were all living uh, manifestations of the divine plan on earth. Now also, I've seen a lot of information, and there's a, a big video series that came out, about these monuments that were built in Egypt, that it was really all about the brain also and traveling in in within that you know the 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 spinal cord and the different levels of the brain and does is this addressed 
in the hieroglyphics that you were studying? Well, I'm not sure I know the same video that you're referring to. Um, maybe if you do, you know the author of that? No, Mark? it's escaped. Of course, I can't remember right now that you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but so I, I remember uh, reading about it and being fascinated because of you know just like the sacred eye is the pineal gland and they had uh, this yes. whole thing mapped out and then they built these these monuments basically to show how you travel through it. I mean it's all connected. I'm sure I'll have to find yes, that and I'll let everybody connected. know. I'll, I'll share it with you and I'll also put it on our. Supernatural Girls Facebook page. By the way, if you haven't got, given us a like and follow everybody, make sure you do, and I will put the information there for you to see about how the uh, the brain and, and Egypt is all connected. But, yes, the, they had a, a deeper understanding of so many things and technology that we couldn't even imagine today. I don't think we have even scratched the surface of what they knew. But the power we manifestation still, is amazing with them. Yes, we are still uncovering everything that they took for granted and knew to be true. And I agree with you. Uh, there is so much more uh, to uncover in terms of the levels of understanding. So, you know, we are merely scratching the surface. Um, every time they find a new tomb or they find a new uh corridor or they find a new connection or they find a new uh, piece of information, um, a flower, uh, uh, an herb that, yes, manifests into some sort of healing pattern. And they say, yeah, that's just like the Egyptians. And it's like, yep, they knew that. But we have forgotten so much of that. You know, the, um, the eye of Horus, which we most of us know what it looks like, you know, that sacred eye, and it's right. actually drawn um, with the imagery of the markings of a hawk's eye. So it's, that's why it's the eye of Horus. But all of those parts of the, of the eye were taken individually were um, fractions. And those fractions, when they put, when you put all the fractions, the little pieces of the eye together, you have wholeness or the whole eye or the all-seeing eye. And whenever a, a physician uh, was doing a, or a healer was doing a healing and they would write a prescription for, you know, take this much of this water and this much of this oil and this much of this plant and mix it all up and put it on the wound or put it on the eye or you know, drink it in, you know, a water, whatever, they would, the doctor would sign it with an image of the eye of Horus at the end of it. And that very quickly became a cursive form of the RX. So when you look oh. at an RX and, and you look at the eye of Horus, that's the sign of wholeness and healing. And it always was in the ancient world. And, you know, it took a while for us to figure out that that's what they were doing. <laughs> But it's uh, yes, very fascinating. that's fascinating. Yeah. So the the Egyptian priests, though they they weren't exactly the nicest bunch, from what I have read. And again, with so many years passed and not a lot of great ways to keep track of everything, what is your opinion of the Egyptian priests? Uh, they did wield tremendous power, not only in manifestation but just over the the whole communities that they. Served, supposedly served, but they actually ruled. 
What are you? Well, what's yeah, they did. Them? Um, I, well, I think the priests and the priestesses of the old kingdom were—they're the ones that I favor. The old kingdom priests and priestesses, not so much the new kingdom, the ones that were power hungry and wanted the money and, you know, uh, and were the whole reason that Akhenaten said, uh, forget it, I'm going to the desert, you know. Right. Um, but the uh, but the old kingdom priests and priestesses were much more powerful. They The priest and the priestess were on equal footing. There were as many female high priest priestesses and doctors and architects and uh, scribes as there were male. Um, and that was, you know, that kind of fell apart during what we call the intermediate, the first intermediate period between the end of the old kingdom and the beginning of the new kingdom, the uh, beginning of the middle kingdom. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that um, the thing that I admire the most about them is that they were, after the divine plan, they were working very hard, attempting to um, manifest God's plan on earth to the best of their ability. And there were opportunities, especially for those high priests who were in Saqqara area, Memphis and Saqqara, to enter into shamanic visionary states and to ascend a ladder into the heavens in order to speak with the ascended masters, to speak with the previous pharaohs, to speak with the gods and the goddesses, and to find out what the plan was for them on earth. Because each pharaoh uh, was meant to follow the divine plan for his whole community. They weren't elected. They were chosen by, you know, the gods and the goddesses, and then... Uh, the families ruled thereafter. So they took that very seriously. They were not uh, oligarchs, you know, They, uh, for the most part. They were pretty mm-hmm. much trying to figure out how, how do we build a pyramid? How do we build a community? How do we do healing? How do we use sound for healing? Um, how do we uh, make sure that we have the right information Uh, astronomically I mean they were incredibly advanced people Um, they were using alchemy to create these very beautiful uh, temples and so on they were smelting gold you know they were the first ones to do all of this and they had this plan and every year they would enter into every sorry every seven years they would enter into this shamanic state the Pharaoh would, and he would go in and spend three days uh, entombed, so to speak. He was called a technu at that point. There's a man named Greg Reeder who's written about this. He's a wonderful writer. Um, and he, they, you know, entered into this shamanic state, went up to talk to the gods, descended a ladder Uh, as they came down from heaven. So it's just like Jacob's ladder. The angels go up and the angels go down the Mm -hmm. same ladder. Um, There is the pyramid of Unas in which there's a text that talks about ascending and descending this ladder and really gives uh, instructions for how to uh, visit with the dead and 
to uh, do healings and receive visionary experiences. These hieroglyphs that are inside the Pyramid of Unus are not pictures. I mean, they are hieroglyphs in that they are images that represent the concepts. But there's not like a picture the way you see a picture in some dead person's tomb of them, you know, uh, in the fields with their cattle or drinking wine with their spouse or, you know, sniffing lotus. There's none of that. It's just Mm -hmm. hieroglyph after hieroglyph after hieroglyph, sacred text after sacred text after sacred text, and all of it speaking about entering up into this contract with the divine and then when you come out of your trance, you come back down and you are rebirthed. You actually pass out of the Pyramid of Unas through this long canal that's like a birth canal. And the story of, of Isis birthing Horus and of the goddess Neith birthing Sobek is on either wall. And it's just, it's, you know, and it's built like a womb. And so when the Pharaoh comes back out of it, and he is the high priest, he is the highest high priest in the land when he comes back out he has received the vision and he's able to enact it for the next seven years now think about that seven years becomes a saturn uh you know a quarter point on a saturn cycle right Um, so yeah every 28 years you have a saturn return and so every seven years this pharaoh is following a, a pattern that's related to the saturn cycle that is receiving the divine plan and being able to enact it. It's really fascinating. I love it. Yes, and again, they were they were truly powerful, and their connections were true. As you're describing this, this is a connection to the source that is more than, I mean, it's more powerful than anything else. And yet it did get watered down with the new kingdom, and things weren't the same, which is a shame. That's exactly so was, right. We lost right. a lot in that. But you've been able to to decode a lot of things and revive a lot of things. And you're also an archpriestess of the Fellowship of Isis. Can you tell us about that? What is the Fellowship of Isis? Well, it was originally begun uh, by um, a woman and her brother, Lady Olivia uh, Robertson and her brother Lawrence Durden Robertson. Uh, They lived in Ireland uh, in the family's castle, and um, this castle had a number of dungeons in the basement, which Lady Olivia very beautifully and graciously turned into uh, altar rooms for the divine feminine. And Lawrence started out as an Episcopal bishop, I guess oh you don't start out as a bishop. But <laughs> before yeah. he became the the archpriest of Fellowship of Isis with his sister as the archpriestess, he was an Episcopal bishop. And um, so they're very, this place is, is very sacred to the divine feminine, not just Egyptian, but all of the divine feminine all over the world. But the main goddess that oversees, uh, the work of Lady Olivia is Isis herself, uh, which, of course, is, is the uh, epitome of Mother Mary. I mean, their stories are so similar. That, yes, um, they are. Yes. Yes. It's hard to not notice that. <laughs> yes. 
Now, so did you uh, become a, a member of this fellowship here in the United States, or was it over in Europe? No, it was in the States, and I uh-huh. began to go to uh, conventions of the Fellowship of ISIS because, interestingly enough, I did the book uh, first, um, and then I wrote Dreams of ISIS, and then I wrote Feast of Light. Um, so I had written three books about Egypt before becoming a priestess of ISIS oh. and um, was invited then to attend these conferences and present. And at one conference, Lady Olivia asked me, do you want to become a priestess? And I said, oh, absolutely. You know, what do I need to do? And she just said, yeah, you need to bow your head down here and let me put this crown on it, you know. <laughs> so, oh, my. I said, but I haven't done this study. And she goes, yes, you have done it. You're it, oh. you know. And oh. so it was It was really sweet to have her um, do that for me, you know. And then when she passed at the age of 90-something, 94, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. She came to me in a dream. I did not know she had passed, but I saw her in a dream, and she said to me, what will you do for the Fellowship of Isis? I said, Lady Olivia, whatever you want me to do. And so she sat down, and it wasn't a, more than a month later that I was invited by the Isis Oasis who out in Geyserville, California, who are they're my base um, temple, and um they invited me to become an archpriestess, high priestess. Wow. So I went out there uh, for a convocation and uh, received that and was given the okay, basically, to come back to Indiana and start uh, my own school of training priestesses of ISIS. So that is where we are. Our audience is very much interested in all of these things. And is this something that, again, given the condition of the world today with the virus and all of that, is this something people can study online with you, or do they have to be in Indiana to do it? Oh, no, they don't have to be in Indiana. They can study online. It is an online program, and um, I accept people into the program whenever they would like to start. It's pretty much a two-year program, but it can be stretched out a little longer. Sometimes it takes you longer when you have a a life and a child and a job, you know, and so I understand that. Um, But I have a particular path that I have people follow. We do a celebration of the goddess, a different goddess every month. Um, We take classes. We take classes on hieroglyphic thinking. We take classes uh, in astrology and ancient astrology, we take classes in um, metaphysical journal keeping. We take classes in uh, different kinds of like following sacred calendars and uh, things like that. So it sounds wonderful. It really yeah, does. It is. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of now, fun. I have a text question here. How much do you charge for for your Training. Well, I I tell you what I have done so far is I have kept the first year low. I haven't um, pr- the prices for the other classes are individually per class, <clears throat> and so like when I'm doing uh, metaphysical journal keeping, um, it's a flat fee. Not everyone who's taking it is going to be a priestess, but every priestess is going to take it. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so it's a, it's a, each class is a flat fee. The first year is uh, mostly Zoom classes, um, and it costs $135. For, that's for the all year? it costs for one year. For a year. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is and the most that's, reasonable that's just price for, you're yes, ready. for any training. Wow, yeah. that is tremendous. So it's very affordable. It is. It is. And I'll tell you why. ISIS told me to do it this way, not to, you know, charge an arm and a leg and see what I could get. But she wanted me to really make the make more priestesses in the world because she said you're going to need it, you know. And yes. this was like two or three years ago. And I think this is proof that we need it now, you know, with this COVID-19. I can't tell you how many times a day I'm going down to the grotto and lighting candles for someone who's ill, saying prayers, you know, working with full moon services. I mean, it really, even though a lot of things have closed down, um, I'm still very active as a priestess, you know, and we need more people because the more mental energy is being put into manifesting healing again, manifesting understanding for heaven's sake, manifesting kindness for a change, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's how we're going to change the world, and it's going to be one priestess at a time. This is just wonderful. I'm so glad you're on the show tonight because this is very timely and very important information, and, and you're offering a training that no one else is offering and is so reasonable. And like you said, some people will take longer if they have very busy lives and they have family commitments to attend to, but they can take that extra time if they need to. So you've thought of everything right. to to really make this happen. And, and obviously you embody the teachings or they wouldn't have given you these honors. So it's it's much more than studying them. You are them. And I can't think of a better way to learn but from someone like you. So this oh, is thank very you. exciting. Thank you. Well, you're so welcome. I mean, obviously you've brought with you into this lifetime uh, the knowledge that you had probably from another life in Egypt, maybe several, but that's obviously what you brought to the world, and it's a tremendous gift, Normandy, just tremendous. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I hope that I can be a good priestess and that I can leave the world a more beautiful place. Well, that's a great goal. We should all share that with you. And now let's get back to some of the ways to work with the hieroglyphics because they are so powerful. But again, as you mentioned, this also was very hidden and very secretive. This was a knowledge that was kept amongst the priests and priestesses. It wasn't just handed out to everybody, right? Right. No. Um, by and large, most of the people in ancient Egypt were illiterate. Uh, they didn't read and write, but they did go to their priests, you know, whether it was a high priest or a lector priest. A lector priest is someone who was basically a scribe. Um, uh, they went to dream counselors who were lector priests. They, some of the priests and priestesses themselves didn't read, but they were service priests and priestesses. You know, they were the ones who danced in the temple or played the music in the temple or, you know, or did the healing. They may not have been able to read uh, everything, but they knew it. You know, they were taught it. Much of it was learned mouth to ear. Okay, mm -hmm. so not everybody was 
was reading a book about how to create something magical. They spent years learning it. You know, Pythagoras, which he's the guy that taught us the Pythagorean theory that we had to learn in high school. (laughs) He studied (laughs) in Egypt. I mean, it was like, who knew? He studied in Egypt for 30 years. He wandered from temple to temple saying, what does that say? What does that say? What does that say? And they wouldn't tell him because he was Greek and he was not a native speaker. And so they were like, oh, I can't tell you. Go to some other priesthood. And they sent him up and down uh, Egypt, up and down the Nile for ah, 30 years. And finally, the Pharaoh wrote to a priest at Hermopolis, where, which was the Temple of Thoth, and said, tell this guy what he needs to know. Obviously, he's here for a reason. And so, anyway, he is the man who started, who taught us numerology. You know, ah. And he learned it all from the Egyptians. Now, talk to us about so, that. Unfortunately, PK isn't here to enjoy this conversation tonight. You work with this a little differently than traditional numerology. So tell us how you do this. How do you figure out somebody's destiny number or life path? How does that work with this particular system? Oh, okay. So the particular hieroglyphic system that I use right now, um, I, yeah, I work with the hieroglyphs and um, I use um, a personal day number sometimes or a birth year, personal year number. So let's say right now, um, my, my birthday is 924 and that makes me a, uh, Pers- uh, a six, okay, and then I right. add twenty twenty, which is a four, two plus two, to my six, and I get a one zero, or right. one plus zero equals one. Okay, so that means that I'm in a one year, I'm in a year of beginnings. I have completed a whole cycle of work over the last nine years, and I'm now at a new crux, a new start. Um, And this is the time for me to use my number one skills of leadership and uh, visionary experience and initiation and creativity to start something that will last me for the next nine years. Okay? Mm -hmm. Um, So this becomes a really important year for me. Therefore, every time I draw a card out of my deck, I draw a card for the day or a card for the month. I am usually reading the number one um, reading for it. Does that make sense? There, there are numbers inside the book that from one to nine. Okay, so right. I'll read the definition for the number one for that particular meaning mm-hmm. of that glyph. But now, course, your cards that you're the cards that you're working with are they cards that you've constructed uh, yourself out of the hieroglyphics? Yes. Um, I realized that there were 60 hieroglyphs. As I had taken people to Egypt, there were 60 hieroglyphs that people would continually look at and say, what is that? It's calling me. And sometimes it was a name of a divine being, usually a creator uh, or a protector. Sometimes it was a hieroglyph for an action like adoration or... um, movement, you know, almost like a rune, you know. And sometimes they were uh, 
symbols for the sacred body, parts of the body. You know, there are the heart, um, the the name is a sacred body. The shadow is a sacred body. Uh, the um, intelligence, uh, the will, you know, all of those are sacred powers that we manifest physically. And so those are all represented in there too. So these 60 glyphs tended to be the glyphs that people most often, you know, and of course, onks and things like that. Oh, they show up in dreams sometimes. And so that was also a way that I realized, oh, this, this needs to be in the, in the deck, not just my dreams, but other people's dreams. Now, Mm -hmm. is your deck readily available? You can get my deck by going to my website, um, normandyellis.com, and just go down, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you can see that there's a place to order the deck. Now, the deck was put together uh, by me and a friend who's a photographer. Her name is Osset Roan. And uh, she took all the pictures of the images uh, on the cards um, while we were traveling through Egypt. Um, I also have one of my priestesses whose name is Lexus Hovis, and she preferred to draw the images, which I had been teaching classes and teaching people how to draw the images before we did hieroglyphs, because for me, I think learning to um, inscribe the particular image yourself adds a certain dimension of power to it. Some people said, oh, I, I can't draw. I'm not very good. Give me the pictures. You know, and they have a certain yeah. power too. But but working it through your hand, you know, feeling that energy come down from your head, down your arm, and out your ink pen onto, you know, a sheet of papyrus or a piece of paper or a clay tablet or something really makes it uh, your own, you know. Um, it does. So it has yeah, your own vibration to it. So, okay, so that's yeah. great because I was just thinking it would be wonderful to, I do a lot with tarot, but I have the Voyager deck, and I was just thinking this would be fun to add to divination and other things and just understanding more of this ancient power that existed. And it feels like we should be able to tap into it again, and this is one way to do it is working yes. with your deck or drawing the symbols yourself. But how did they do it? I mean, they worked on so many different levels with their connection. Obviously, they had tremendous highways <laughs> that went from earth to heaven, and they were able to travel them very easily. But how did they manifest things so profoundly? Okay, so I'll tell you two stories. First of all, one of the things you just said reminded me to tell you that they would take these hieroglyphs, like if somebody was sick. Let's say they had a virus that they couldn't kick, right? Okay. So what they would do is that they would figure out which herbs they needed to take for this particular illness. And then with their uh, lector priest, the scribe priest, the medical intelligence, they would write a prayer or a petition to whatever divine healing energy they wanted to contact. Sekhmet, uh, the goddess of pestilence, she's one that I've been working with through this COVID-19 
you know, really seeking her protection in a lot of things. But it could be Isis. It could be Thoth, who was the great healer, you know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be it could be Horus, you know. Uh, it could be Ptah. And so it, whichever divine being felt to be the right one for you to work with, then that was the one that you would write your petition to. And so you write this prayer of healing um, and manifestation, and you write it with ink that is dipped into these crushed up herbs and stuff that are that become the ink. You know, they kind of put together with a, a little bit of gum or something so that it makes a, a gel or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A rust that you yes. can write with. Okay, yes. and so they would write it on the patient's arm, not oh, on a piece of paper. You could write really? it on a piece of paper, but they would write it on the patient's arm. And then they would have the patient say the prayer, really mean the prayer. It's written in their body now, right? And then when the prayer's done, they lick it. And that's how they take their medicine. Or they put oh it in a goodness. glass of water. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I love it. You know, I think it's, it's and tremendous. So, yeah, so one of the reasons that that works is that it com- combines the energy of manifestation in that. It's the power of thought. The effort and the energy that it takes to figure out these are the things that I need, these are the medicines that I need, this is what I want to say, you know, reading it out loud, the power of the mind, the power of thought. It's not just, you know, going into the refrigerator and picking up a pill and taking a drink of water and walking away. It takes some time to do this, right? Yeah, and some commitment. Yes, commitment and time. So the power of the mind to move this. um, And then the will, the effort that it takes to go through and uh, figure out the concoction, to write it on the person's arm, to do this, you know, several times a day. There's a willpower that, you know, this will work and the knowledge that this is what you need to do. Uh, And as crazy as it sounds, you know, you would do it. Um, And then you just, you know, you didn't tell everybody you know, like, oh, I'm taking this medicine right now. You know, it's the best thing in the world. Um, you just were quiet about it. You know, it's like, okay, this is between me and the divine. This is my commitment, me and the divine. We're holding this energy together, and we're going to make it happen. So what that is, is it's it's called the uh, four powers of the Sphinx. To know, okay. to will to dare, and to keep silent. Hmm. Okay, well, that's and so that's how... Yeah, it is different. It is different. You know, if you, if you go and you say, okay, uh, the silence thing confuses people a lot. So let's say that you are going to write a book and you have this idea that you're very excited about this book, and you tell everybody about the book, um, <clears throat> but you haven't had the will to get to the piece of paper yet, right? So mm-hmm. what happens is somebody else takes the idea and runs with it, and it's gone. You've, you've right. just let the energy dissip- dissipate. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it was something that was given to you with your contract with the divine, and it was not something that, you know, was for everybody until it was done. So that's one thing I think that's very different about, you know, um, uh, in a way it's the difference between uh, what there's some, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's some kind of thing in the Bible that is, um, I think it, I don't know if it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament, but it says something like, don't pray like those other people on the street corners. You know, it's like when you go into your temple, go into your temple and pray with all your heart and open your heart and talk to your deity. Right, and and so there's a higher level of consciousness in every step that you've just described because there's a huge difference between that and taking a pill and a pill that really doesn't heal you but for the most part just gets rid of symptoms and then you could be stuck with, more symptoms of another kind from the pill. Right. So it's 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 not there's not a lot of consciousness involved and there's not a connection to the divine. It's a connection to I'm doing what my doctor told me to do. That's very different. And again, there's not a lot of consciousness involved in that. I mean, let's face it. Sometimes we need to take medication. I'm not against it. And I'm sure you're not either. No, it's I'm not. Necessary sometimes to take medication. However, it is it has proven itself over the years to not be a you know be something generally that provides a full healing. There needs to be more consciousness involved. Here is a ceremony that gives you more consciousness, more commitment, some other realizations that go along with this. I mean, the pill, the magic pill that is not so magic, allows us to just go on with our regular day without making any other. Uh, changes or becoming aware of any other things that led to the need to take the pill. So uh, this that you're describing, it it gives you opportunity to identify the source of it and why you have it and, and again, can take you in a a much more informed direction. Right. And it is mindfulness that is the key to that. And, again, what is COVID-19 teaching us but mindfulness? It's like, Watch where you're standing, you know, wash your hands, uh, cover your mouth when you sneeze. I mean, these are all like concepts that we should have had, you know, just imbued in us when we were kids. But now everybody's getting it. Everybody's, it's like, yeah, you got to do this, you know, and you have to, you have to be concerned with other people. It's not about you. It's not. I'm sorry, it's not about somebody's personal freedom. It is about the fact that you care enough for another person who may be weaker than you that you yes. will not endanger them. Yes, you that's know? so true. Yeah, it, it, and it also showed us how connected we all are uh, that yeah, it spread exactly. the way it did. But also I think it's teaching us another thing, which is, Don't just believe everything you're told by your doctor. Here is a mysterious virus, bacteria, whatever you want to call it. And they're still trying to figure it out because the symptoms are so varied. And at first they started out thinking it was one thing, and now they found out it's really a thrombotic disease. And right from the beginning, that's what I was saying about this. It just sounded 
to me a lot like an autoimmune condition. And so when I went a little further with it and started looking at the blood problems that people were having, it, it seemed to add up in a whole different way. Um, if you look at right. scleroderma, for example, autoimmune condition, uh, very difficult to diagnose, but it is a blood disorder. There is too much clotting going on in the red blood cells. It inhibits oxygen transport, circulation to the extremities. It creates fibrosis which shuts down the lungs and the kidneys. And what does that sound like? It sounds yeah. like COVID. So it's, yeah, it it's very interesting. I, mean, I think everybody needs to really put their thinking cap on with this because what appeared at first is not quite what this thing is. And so the treatment they originally thought was the key really wasn't. So now they're saying they're looking into aspirin, and other types of treatments because, again, this is a thrombotic illness. So um, it's just so interesting to me that to watch people in the medical profession and researchers scramble trying to figure this thing out, but yet if you look at how people are uh, reporting on their own symptoms and they're just so different, so varied, and, again, where is it coming from? You look at the lack of oxygen right. transport through the blood. So, again, I didn't mean to go off on a big tangent there, but it is a topic of great importance to everybody. But, again, yes. like, don't throw away your faith in somebody else. It's like take all the information that you can gather, all the connections exactly. that you can make, and start connecting the dots yourself, and you'll get to a, a place of healing. Again, don't give over your power. And I think... This is something I must ask you about. The priests didn't give over their power. It's, it seems to me, from what you describe in your book and the way I see this, is it was an equal partnership between the priests and priestesses and the source. Exactly. Exactly. So that we are co-creators. It is a true right. understanding of co-creator. Not somebody else is going to do it for me, you know. Yes. And I'm not manipulating I mean, angels, let's say. I mean, that could be another thing we could talk about. But yeah. I am going straight to the source and saying, okay, you know, you made me. And if you believe in quantum entanglement, there is, there is this idea that anything that has ever been connected to something else is still connected to it, no matter how far apart they are, even if it's a cosmic distance. And so yes. we're still part of that God source, you know. So we why are, not tap into that? Why not? And, again, this is, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is the biggest issue. But we're going to take a very short commercial break and come back and continue this fascinating conversation. And, again, everybody, we are speaking. I am by myself tonight without PK. I am speaking to our guest, Normandy Ellis. She is the author of a great book called Hieroglyphic Words of Power, Symbols for Magic, Divination, and Dreamwork. And we are going to take a short commercial break and be right back. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio. Pure essential oil, specialized mineral, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients and easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. 
We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleid, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, Together, we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide, the practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, people have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles library of consciousness alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. 
Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with our fascinating guest tonight, Normandy Alice, who is the author of a great book. It is called, again, Hieroglyphic Words of Power, Symbols for Magic, Divination, and Dreamwork. And Normandy also has a website that you can visit. It's normandyalice.com, where you can also take a look at her online workshops and she has a, a tarot deck there of hieroglyphic symbols, which I think I'm going to get for me. So, Normandy, tell me more about how to work with these symbols, especially for dreams, because you said it could be used to help with dreams. So tell us how to do that. Okay. Uh, there are two ways to do that. For one, I believe many of the symbols that are on the cards, people – uh, report seeing them in their dream time. Um, and so you might, I'm trying to remember, there was a woman in my uh, dream workshop one time who had this dream about a hawk that uh, appeared and dug its claws into her arm. Ooh. And she, yeah, and, and she looked at it and she said it was very frightening because it had, it had very weepy eyes and it had the face of an old man. It was like kind of bald and and she said it was really sad. And I said, well, did the old man remind you of anyone? She said, mm, well, maybe it reminds me of my father a little bit, you know. And I, so she was describing a ba soul, you know, which is a, a soul in the ancient Egyptian uh, hieroglyphs, a hawk with a human head would be the soul of a particular person. And this Mm -hmm. particular hawk reminded her of her father. And so I asked her, is your father in spirit? And she said, no, he has Alzheimer's and he doesn't remember me. (laughs) I thought to myself, oh "Oh my, yes, he does. You know, he's trying to get your attention. He's grabbing onto your arm, you know. Um, And so I asked her then to begin to work with the hawk we did a dream recall in which she went back into the dream and had a conversation with this particular hawk and was able to connect with her father uh in a much deeper way uh, when she was visiting him and when she was not visiting with him and she was able to tell him that it was okay for him to go to have that conversation with him that he you know, that she loved him and, and they would always be connected because his soul, his ba, could come and visit her anytime. And so that was one of the ways in which um, using an Egyptian symbol that came from a dream from a woman who had no connection to Egypt but then learned about what that meant and was able to have a healing with her relationship with her father. So that's one way in which That's you can wonderful. use the energy. Yeah. Um, the other ways, I think uh, there are, there's one particular glyph that I really, really like. It's called Irma, I-R-M-A-A, and it means to see clearly. Um, and it's written with a, a pair of eyes, two eyes, and the hieroglyphic symbol of truth. 
And I often will take that particular hieroglyph, write it on a piece of paper, and put it under my pillow when I'm trying to get an answer to something. Wow, that sounds great. I like that. Yeah, so that works. And other times, you know, there's like a picture of a door, you know, um, and when doors show up in your hieroglyphs, what do they look like? There are several doors inside these hieroglyphs, hieroglyphic images. So, you know, if you just play with the cards and you start looking at them, you can really begin to develop more of a relationship with them. Now, our audience is, my audience is very interested in increasing their own intuition, their psychic powers, their opening the third eye. Now, what if they started working with symbols that would help them with that? What would you recommend? Well, the Irma is definitely one that I would work with because that is one that appears on the temple walls uh, right behind the altar of every individual uh, statue of the divine beings, and it means, um, you know, clairvoyance. And so the priest or priestess would be in contact with that particular hieroglyph and image. And when someone came to ask a question, they would then be able to answer it. And so I think meditating with that symbol, uh, putting it on your on your uh, prayer altar, or uh, if you have an altar to a deity, putting it there, uh, can increase your clairvoyance over a period of time, picking up the card and holding it while you're meditating. Um, other cards that are good for that, um, I think I think the eye of Horus is very strong. Most people resonate to that in terms of seeing clearly. Um, and that was the third eye, you know. Um, working with the dung beetle. Um, I like working with the dung beetle energy because it's the symbol of alchemy. Um, right, yeah. It is. Yeah, it's how to turn the the base matter into uh, light, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's what dung beetles do. That's why they were so revered. Uh, and and also, you know, they they follow the patterns of of the moon uh, and the stars to lay their oh, eggs really? and find them again. Yeah. So they're very interesting, interesting creatures. So you can basically take any of these symbols, and if you don't have, if we don't have your deck of cards yet, uh, we could draw them ourselves and put this under our pillow with possibly a request, like for example, my intuition grows stronger, or my third eye opens, or something like that. Would that be a good way to Perfect. do it? Perfect. Perfect. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds it sounds very very good because again, what we're looking at is connection connection the same connection that the priests had and priestesses and that we should have but for some reason we've separated ourselves out and and made it very difficult on ourselves to be able to to reach this type of connection but it it is our birthright we've heard that enough times but getting there (laughs) hasn't been that easy what do you think our biggest stumbling block is to this um, I think the biggest stumbling block to it is that we uh, insist that it makes sense rather than that we let its meaning impress itself upon us. Hmm. 
Um, so and coming so more struggle. from the feminine, the feminine side of being receptive is what you're saying. Right, right. That's another way of saying it. Yeah, but for I struggled for such a long time because I, I'm a writer, I'm a thinker, I'm a you know put these words on a piece of paper and and make the sentence sound good, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And yet I realized as I was writing this particular book, in fact, that most of it came. Um, I'll have to confess, in a trance state. I would go into meditation. I would write the symbol or the glyph in front of me, and I would ask my guides to tell me about it. And uh, off we'd go for about an hour. That's a great way to get information. That's wonderful. I like it. Yeah, it it certainly seemed to help me. And so you can do this, not just with hieroglyphs. I'll say you can do that with anything. You can mm-hmm. you can do that with walking down the street and uh, seeing a particular uh, image drawn on the sidewalk and redrawing it and coming home and sitting with it in meditation. What is this supposed to mean to me? You know? Yes. I think that that's a really good way. Yeah, because it did show up in your reality for some reason. So it's good you can use any of those things that way. They say some people say who are dream researchers is that we are in a dream consciously and then we go to sleep and we dream another reality. So yeah, it, in their minds it's all the it's all a dream. And it's we, all a dream. <laughs> yeah, and if we just treated all the symbols the same, we could probably get a lot more information. But let's go to another subject that again troubles people, especially in today's world with what's going on and that is the ability to make money the ability to support uh, ourselves it's a, a big trial right now for a lot of people and how can people work with the hieroglyphic symbols to make that easier you know that never occurred to me okay <laughs> I that sounds silly um but I, what I do, because I'm an astrologer, I go and I look at what's being activated in my second house of my astrological chart mm-hmm. and what's being activated in my eighth house. So one is the second house is always about your uh, possessions or what matters to you. We'll just say it's personal belongings, possessions, what matters to you. Money falls into that category. You know, so does your your house. So does um, things that you love, you know, that you tend to surround yourself with. If you are a person who is in love with the natural world, then that's, that image that appears may not be money, but it may be a tree, you know, it may be the earth. Um, and so it, anyway, I would work with, Astrologically, I would work with the second house. Now, if you are using these hieroglyphs uh, and the book, in the back of the book, there is an astrological layout for the hieroglyphs. Okay, for like if you want to do a reading and lay them out in a zodiacal wheel. Um, okay. And then, then what I would do then is go into that, lay out all the cards. But turn up, the first card I would turn up would be the card in the second house to see what card that is. What is the mm-hmm. state of my, I'll call it your desire nature, 
you know. Uh, And the thing that so fascinates me about astrology uh, is that the planet Venus, we always think of it in terms of love. Yes. But it also rules money. And so it's really about our desire nature. What is it that you love? What do you desire? You know, Mm -hmm. do you desire money or do you desire the things that money brings? So, and I'm going to say, for example, for myself, um, I, I never did well with saying I want this amount of money because it wasn't really the money that I wanted. What I wanted was the opportunity to travel. I wanted to be able to uh, read. I wanted to be able to write books that mattered to people. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have the experience of my work mattering to other people and mattering to myself. And so it wasn't really the money, you know, to tell you the truth. Now I lead trips to Egypt. I travel a lot. Um, I don't make a lot of money going to Egypt, but I make enough to travel to Egypt and be able to write my books, which is what I wanted in the first place. Right. Okay, so, so I guess in answer to your question, it's not about, it's not always about what do you do about the money, but where is your love? Where is your passion? Right. Well, that, and that makes total sense. I mean, they say that if you you want to create more abundance in your life, then you need to focus on the feeling that that brings you, which for a lot of people is freedom. It's the freedom right. to do what they want. So, yeah, and right. so that same focus. But I was just wondering if there were any particular hieroglyphic symbols that address that, that people could put under their pillow to help soothe the anxiety that a lot of people have, you know, over money. They're out of work. They Some people are restaurant workers, right. and that industry has been hit hard, as well as many others. So it's. I'm just thinking, is there any uh, hieroglyphic that we could tell people about that maybe would help them with that. Okay, that's that's a good way to put that. And when you say it that way, what comes to mind immediately for me is the hieroglyphic symbol of Ta, T-A, and it's the image of the earth itself. And it has um, it has two hills, and between the two hills, uh, almost rising, there is a circle with an X in it. And it basically means you are here. It basically means you are here, just like you would see it on a map. This is where you are. Mm -hmm. But it's also like a pentacle in um, another hieroglyphic deck. You know, it's the earth card. So it would be the same as if you would put the ace of pentacles underneath your pillow to work with that energy. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Okay, so yeah, so that would be the one that I would use for that, you know. And, and again, it's not going to say bring me money, but what makes me comfortable, what makes me glad that I'm here, you know. When you're when you're thinking about it in a Eckhart Tolle kind of way, you know, <laughs> yeah, like I'm here. Yeah, this is all that's I got. This is it. I'm happy. Yeah, here yeah. I am. <laughs> Well, and it's also mm-hmm. a lot about safety because, as we've been talking about, you know, this this mysterious virus with all of its crazy symptoms, uh, not only has robbed many people of their uh, income, but it's also robbed people of their feeling of safety. So that even 
going to a grocery store can become a frightening experience because you're not sure if you're going to get exposed. So there's so much loss there in how people are able to feel and find their own safety in the world. I think that's true. And I think the main thing that we need to remember is that uh, our reality is going to be uh, it's going to be an experience based upon what we send our thoughts to, you know. Um, and so if you are uh, anxious and worried, you know, and, and this, I would have many people come to me. I'm a medium. Many people would come to me for a reading and say, you know, I think my my uh, husband is, you know, doing something that I don't like. He's hiding money, but I'm not sure you know, and I, and I would look at the cards and I wouldn't see it. And I would say, leave that alone because worry mm-hmm. is a prayer for something you don't want. You mm-hmm. put your mind on that and you roll it around and you roll it around and it's like scratching a record and it makes a groove and you draw it to yourself. Worry is a prayer for something you don't want. Yes, that is a great a- statement. I love that statement. I'm going to remember that one. Yes, it's true. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the best thing we can do when we have a fear idea is to express a gratitude instead. Mm-hmm. So what yes, is it that we something have? something to be no. grateful for. Yes, that makes sense. Y- yes, yes. Yeah, I was planning to spend the entire month of March in Egypt. Uh, my oh. trip... Yeah, I know. My trip got interrupted. Um, The first trip, we pulled it off, but barely, you know. We got out of the country on the last airplane, and many of us wearing our masks. And every time we sat on the boat, uh, after we had come off to go, you know, see a temple and come back, everyone would take out their gloves and their mask, and we would entirely spray the boat down with insecticide and clean our rooms and You know, we spent a lot of time making sure that we were safe, Um, and yet we had a wonderful time. It was one of the best. And the blessing, the gratitude I express in that is that everybody else was terrified, and we were going into temples that were usually crowded, and we were the only ones there. You know, we had (laughs) an experience that that was fantastic. We were safe. We were smart. You know, about being there. We weren't trying to, uh, you know, uh, press our luck, I'll say. But when it was time and we got the call, it's like, you leave now, we leave, you know. Mm -hmm. So we did. We took off. Uh, Everybody got on the same plane. We all went home. Um, Sadly, I was supposed to have another trip after that. That was not going to happen. Right. So, uh, and basically, because of that, I lost about, of course, half of my income. Right. Right. It was like, hmm, that's what I do for a living, and now it's all gone. Mm -hmm. And it's not for in the foreseeable future. It's not on the horizon. There are trips we're planning for 2021 in the fall. Should everything be okay, you know? But I'm not worried about it because I've started a new book. I was given an opportunity of time. And it was like, okay, what am I going to do now with this time? 
So I'm engaged in a new writing project that I love. And um, couldn't really, you know, it's like COVID-19 is out there. I know people with it. I know people who've died from it. Mm -hmm. But it is not touching uh, my physical body right here. I'm, I'm in this little protection zone. Okay. And I just, when I go to bed at night, I envision I am fine. I am whole. You know, I I am loved, and I am right where I need to be. So that's so. a great feeling. That's wonderful. Now, I have another yeah. text question that just came in, and they said, aside from the coronavirus and all of what that has done uh, to create a feeling of lack of safety, how safe is it to actually travel in Egypt today? Oh, aside from the virus? Yes. Um, I, it's not... Uh, if you're smart about it, it's actually okay. We have um, we have private visits to places where we would like to do ritual, for example. Uh, we pay to have that experience because it's not permitted in uh, a Muslim country to uh, pray to divine beings from another tradition. You know, uh-huh. that's just their burden. But um, we will pay an armed guard to come with us and protect us while we're doing what we need to do. We don't do it in public, you know, to keep silent. There's another one of those things, you know. Um, And just as they did in the ancient world, that's how they did it. So we we experienced some really sweet things, you know, going to the Temple of Isis at dawn when no one else is there and uh, in the dark and the cats come down from uh, the onto the pier and they rub around your legs and lead you back up to the altar room. It's like they know exactly where you're going. They're so beautiful. (laughs) And um, and then we sit on the wall and we watch the sun come up and and we dance. And then when the light is up and the official temple guardians come for the day, we stop. And at that point, we just look like tourists, Mm -hmm. you know. So you learn how to adapt to it. You always have an escort with you. Um, With any luck, you have a good escort, one who's not going to say, no, don't do that, no, don't do that. There's certain wise things. You you don't want to uh, wear things that are revealing, you know, because Muslim men are are Muslim men, and um, they stare and, and they'll pinch and, you know, so... Stuff like that, you just want to be cautious about that and wise about that. But having somebody come and grab you off the street or, you know, hold you up for money, they're more likely to say, what would you like? You know, can I get it for you? (laughs) So, so, um, yeah, they'll like a little buck. Sheesh, if if they say that and you say, yeah, sure, I'd like a coffee, then you can tip them. But, you know, they're not likely to take your money. I find the Egyptian people very, very kind, very sweet. Um, yeah, and uh, if you are kind and sweet, then that is what you get back. Well, yes, that's that's good because, again, there's been a lot of concern about safety in traveling to Egypt. I know a lot of friends of mine that would love to go, but they're not going because they're concerned about the safety and, and that I really appreciate the person that just sent that question in because it is well, one, thing I, one thing I will question. say 
Yeah, I will say if you happen to be um, Jewish and you want to go to Israel and, and you want to see Egypt, go to Egypt first. Because if you go to Israel, you, the likelihood of your being able to come into Egypt is lessened. Okay. That's just, yeah, that's just one of those things. Um, on the other hand, we had some really wonderful, uh, this beautiful Jewish woman. Oh, she was fabulous. Um, she was on the trip that we took, the last one that I did where we left the day before they closed. And she had her birthday. And these fabulous. A chef, private chef on the boat, fixed her cake. They carried the chairs and the tables down to an island. They built a fire. They played their drums and their uh, music, and everybody danced and sang for her. It was lovely, you know, and she had a great time, you know. So everybody just released. Gosh, what a great way to celebrate. It was great. Yeah, it was really good. Well, so you are planning another trip, and that would be, you're thinking, hopefully with everything calmed down by next year. And how many people do you escort on these trips? I use a boat that only has uh, between rooms for 14 to 16 people to attend. So I like fairly small, intimate boats. Um, we can control the way that we move through a temple in and out if we are not a herd of 50, you know. Right. Um, So, and we we pay for private visits so that we have an opportunity to go into the inner sanctum uh, at the Temple of Isis. We have an opportunity to stand between the paws of the Sphinx unseen uh, while dawn is coming up. We have, uh, and we usually do that uh, on the solstice uh, and the equinox, and we have opportunities to go into the Great Pyramid uh, without being claustrophobic with so many people in there. That said, I try to limit it to about 16 uh, to 18 people on each trip. It sounds like a, a good idea to keep it small. I mean, I'll tell you, I was in Egypt many years ago, and I loved it. I was there for three weeks, traveled all over the place with my husband at the time, and and it was just transformational. But one of the things that really surprised me is the Great Pyramid, going, walking in it through that small passageway. Because you think the pyramid's yeah. so big, it's got to be big on the inside, and it isn't. That passageway no. is, is very small and narrow and I mean, if I was going to get claustrophobic anywhere, it would have been there. So I was just shocked by by that. How do you how you had to kind of you know walk in and it was everything was was small. But what do you think they used the king's chamber for and the queen's chamber in the pyramid? Do you think that was used for initiation? I do. I don't see how you could carry a sarcophagus with a body up there. Yeah, yeah, I can't um, see that either. Yes. Yep. Um, it was built around it um, for the purpose of initiation. And what about Saqqara, the step pyramid there? What was that for? Um, I think that is a, a manifestation of the ladder to heaven, you know, where the uh, – it was part of the initiation ceremony that I mentioned before, Um 
it's an amazing. You know, they've opened that up. They, you can go underneath the Pyramid of Saqqara now and go oh, down. Okay. Yeah, and go, like, look down into the shaft that is, oh, it is amazing. It's like looking at, have you ever seen a charge couple device or that little computer chip that's inside your cell phone with all the little wires that go everywhere yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, Huh. That's what it looks like. Huh. That's what it looks like. It looks like some type of uh, <clears throat> communication connections, you know, with, with the way that the the uh, patterns of the rooms that that come off of this one main room, which has, um, a, you know, a, and let's just face it, it's crystalline structure. Everything, the sarcophagus, if it's made out of um, granite is a crystalline structure. Uh, the sand in Egypt is all a crystalline structure. And what are crystalline structures? But, you know, communication uh, devices that we put into satellites and send them up in the air and communicate with each other all around the planet and throughout the galaxy. Um, it holds information, and just like a charged couple device. And I was looking at this going, that's what that is. I worked at Ball Airspace for a while where they made oh. the satellites. Yeah, the satellites, and they used those charged couple devices for the electro-optics. And that's what it reminded me of. Yep. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah, when I was there, that was definitely not open. But I would love to see it again uh, open today. And what about the Sphinx? What are your thoughts on that? And a lot of people say there are all kinds of things underneath the Sphinx, including a spaceship. What are your thoughts on that? There are things under the Sphinx. I've seen photographs. Oh, sorry, my cat almost got its head hung in the rungs of the chair. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> um, I have a friend who went down underneath. There's a, there's a way to crawl down underneath the paw of the Sphinx. And there are chambers down there. And he took photographs while he was there. This was like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and one of the things they discovered, they had like these sonar cameras, but they were going through the rock to see what was below. And yeah. there are three rooms that are on top of each other. And the first room you can go in, and it's it's got a sarcophagus in it, kind of a stone like a sarcophagus lid. Um, I don't know if it actually opens up or, or anything, but it has a moat on the edges of the room all the way around it. Below that, there's another room where there's another sarcophagus stone, uh, but that chamber is entirely filled with water. And then below that, there's, um, you know, a, a, an empty room. So they can't figure out what's in the empty room on the third level because if they drilled a hole, all the water would go down there. So it's kind of it's interesting, you know, and I think it's just been sitting there for a while. Um, there are things well, that we're and, finding. And they've had people covering stuff up. I mean, the Minister of Misinformation is what we used to call that guy that used to run. Oh, my gosh. He was so, so Hawass. Yes, Zahi Awas. Who could forget them? Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I I don't have much respect for a man who we did our ceremony between the paws of the Sphinx at sunrise, and he was in his uh, bus waiting with his probably 100 people to come down 
you know, and we were not allowed to put anything on the altar stone. You know, it was just not allowed. So we had to do our ceremony very privately right at the heart of the Sphinx, you know, not on the altar stone. So, but we were allowed in there. As soon as we were out, he pushed his way down there and sat his butt on the altar stone so he could talk to people. And I thought, there you go. That yep. just kind of summed it right up. It certainly <laughs> did. Oh, goodness. Well, I hope at some point in time we will get to see in our lifetime what really is underneath the Sphinx and what is hidden away because there is so much there. And I think there are certain people who know what's there and they they just don't want it revealed. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet. But, oh, my goodness, Normandy, this has been delightful having you on the show and talking about my favorite things, this great stuff, Egypt, manifestation, dream work. Oh, my goodness, I think we've covered quite a bit tonight. And, again, I want to tell everybody about your book. It is Hieroglyphic Words of Power, Symbols for Magic, Divination, and Dream Work, and your website, which is normandyellis.com where you can sign up everybody for workshops and also you can get a deck of hieroglyphic cards, which I'm going to get. So I can't wait to work with them. This is going to be fun. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Well, so Normandy, you get some questions, though. Yeah, I'm you're definitely going to get them. Yes. Yeah. And please keep us posted on your next book because I will certainly have you back. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. Well, same here. I'm glad you finally made it on this show, despite the technical difficulties that sometimes get encountered <laughs> on Block Talk. So, anyways, thank you so much. And next week, everybody, will be back with another exciting show. Go to our Facebook page. We've got some terrific paranormal stories there. Follow us on Twitter. And until then, I'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.